Smith, Bishop Daly, and the Vickers joining me once again, uh, known to most of you as Father Darren Connell, who is Vicar General of the Diocese of Spokane and Rector of Our Lady of Lords Cathedral. Good day, everyone. Thank you. Good day. For introducing yourself. Father Pat Kirst, uh, currently Father Pat Kirst is the pastor of St. Mary in Spokane Valley, but will effectively July 1 be the pastor of St. Thomas More in Spokane. Father Pat is the vicar of priests, and it, known to everybody is Father Brian Mee, the pastor currently at St. Peter's and soon to be the pastor of St. Augustine and the vicar for finance. Somebody going to let us know about these moves? Right. Sooner or later. I, th I think they're coming out in August. Okay. They are. Make the sure announcements. The moves are July. Yeah, there could be other moves. Uh, <laughs> actually, we're talking about a new topic, Bishop Daly and the Vicar of Finance and the two village idiots. Uh, <laughs> be, wow. 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 That was suggested, that was suggested wow. by the Vicar of Finance oh, when the two other vicars the were gone. You could wash your own car tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> anyway, speaking of those type of comments, it They're relates evil. to an issue of evil. And um, as priests, inevitably... In our paths, uh, we meet people in parishes, and our listening audience certainly uh, perhaps have asked the question, if God's so good, why is this world so bad? Why do, as they say, bad things happen to good people? Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great author, uh, said that as an atheist, he did not believe God existed, but he was also very angry with him for not existing, for having created the world. And that was his reflection on the evil that he had witnessed, that he had seen. It seemed to take people from a relationship uh, with the Lord. Um, I don't know how it is in, in your parishes. I w inevitably, we hear in this radio show about these brilliant students in the second grade who ask all sorts of questions. Uh, but now um, we're hearing a little bit uh, more from the students at St. Mary's. Uh, when and you visit the classrooms, uh, very, very bright students. Recently, our seventh grade was uh, studying a chapter in their social studies uh, about imperialism during World War One, and uh, that's a margarine, isn't it? Oh, a very good one. Yeah, it's no longer available. Butter is better for you now. Yeah, thank God. Right, right, and and our very precocious students were very quick to to note that, you know. In our Catholic school, we talk about the goodness of God and so forth, and, and yet we're speaking about the evils of, of war and about how imperialism can bring out the worst in people, and, and we're raising very good questions about uh, how could this happen, and, and it, they expanded beyond that to how can our church that we declare to be holy have been the source of some atrocities through the centuries, and they're well-versed on things like crusades and inquisition and so Whoa, forth. Whoa, now, crusades were not an atrocity. Exactly. Well, they, okay. they were not intended to be as such, but with the wisdom of history, uh, or of our... Uh, it's called rewriting of history. Right, rewriting of history, revision, and so forth, that uh, they were aware that some bad things happened in the name of God, and, mm, and so, uh, so yeah. it did lead to a discussion about original sin and, and, and uh, the reality of evil and and the evil one, and so forth, and so forth. Well, you, you, you mentioned original sin, if I might. No, I want to <laughs> go back oh. to that, uh, that thing about crusades for a moment now. You were around during the crusades, weren't you? <laughs> the uh, rounders Brian? were in Ireland during Oliver Cromwell's time, but mm. they were bad, they were evil. But, but, you know, it's like calling the crusades evil because there were atrocities that happened during the crusades. It's like saying the allies during World War II were evil, uh, because there were atrocities, even though they were fighting true evil, which were the Nazis. So, I mean, yes, evil things happen even on good, you know, to good people or by good people. 
but certainly that's a broad brush of seventh graders. I'm glad my first graders <laughs> at All Saints dealt with that issue probably months before uh, they did at St. Mary's, and the fact was that they realized that those uh, things were really good. Yes. Now, can I talk about original yes. sin? Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about original sin. Um, Father Pat mentioned original sin, and, and Father Me got off on a uh, uh, side road there, but <laughs> all... <laughs> I know, have another side road I want to go down. Evil in, in human history, of course, began with uh, the sin of Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. And one of the things that I've thought about, uh, I think, this past Lent in terms of uh, their own temptation, that th their temptation was obviously to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and because Satan said, he, Satan told them, or the serpent said, God doesn't want you to uh, eat from that fruit or eat from that tree because you'll become like him uh, and you won't need him any longer. You get to decide what's right and wrong and you don't need God. And it seems to me that that's one of the, the temptations that we have even today, where, where we have uh, the tendency in our secular culture to um, shun uh, the concept of, of, of objective truth, that uh, many people say, I get to decide what's right and wrong for me, and my truth might be different than yours. And again, it seems to me that that's precisely uh, the, the sin of, of Adam and Eve, wanting uh, to be God and make those decisions for ourselves, which leads to all kinds of other uh, evils, not the least of which... Now, may I, hold on. May I ask you a question on this? I'm okay. All right. <laughs> so why, my question would be, well, why did God even have that tree in the garden if it were going to be a temptation or could bring about a possible evil? I have a feeling you know the answer to this question. Mm -hmm. mm. He's baiting you. I'm baiting you. Yes, that's okay. true. But well, I'm not taking the bait. So. <laughs> All right. It may go unanswered <laughs> for centuries. I'll try. Mm. Well, can we say something about free let's will? Let's say talk about free will. That's exactly right. Um, you, Father Connell was talking about what uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict spoke of as the dictatorship of relativism. Uh, we see that rampant in our culture, uh, especially in the in the West. But um, you know, some have described that evil is not a thing or an entity or a being. Um, all beings are either the creator or creatures. Evil is a wrong choice or the damage done by the wrong choice. What would you say to that, Father Me? Evil is a wrong choice <laughs> or the damage done by a wrong choice. So surely I, have a, you have done I have a feeling you're baiting me. No, I would never <laughs> This is not a Senate hearing. Uh, well, it is. It is. I mean, that's uh, if you go back to Augustine in City of God, Book 14. It's also a song, a very popular song. City of God. Let yeah. us build the city. <laughs> oh, <laughs> little I hear the little choir. Pelagian, the choir at the cathedral loves that song. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. It's forbidden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but about now, do you want me to? Oh, yeah, please Saint talk Augustine. about Augustine. Well, yes, yes. So, I mean, for St. Augustine and Aquinas uh, later on as well, is evil is the absence of good. And what Augustine says in Book 14 is he says, well, we are like the devil when we turn towards ourselves, as the devil did turn towards himself completely, and away from God. So uh, evil is a negative. It's a negative of good, just as darkness is uh, the negative of light. So we I think that answers your question. It does, okay. indirectly. Um, <laughs> 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 but that, that's fine on But what about the question that's paper. asked by the students at, um, at Stonehaven Prep? Uh, if the origin of evil is free will and God is the origin of free will, isn't God then the origin of evil? No. What would you say to that, Father Me? <laughs> he <laughs> said no. 
I said, <laughs> I said no. oh, Can two minutes. There's two minutes. All right. Yeah. Let me try to answer that. Well, in two no, minutes. because God sees free will as a good. And for him to say, okay, I'm not going to give humanity free will because it might be um, what the pro product of that may be evil would be God all of a sudden wouldn't be overall, but now he would be subject to a flaw uh, in humanity or uh, or t or he would not do something because of a possible result of evil. And to put it more succinctly. Do that, mm -hmm. yeah, because I was wandering uh, off there. Yeah, it is, it's an, it, it, in, in my mind, it's a question of love. Had, had the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil not been in the Garden of Eden, I mean, that was an act of love on God's part. Exactly. Uh, to be in relationship with Adam and Eve and allow them to freely love him in return. Mm -hmm. so See, I fed you that question earlier. I'm you glad you I did. did. And I just finally read it, so. <laughs> well, maybe maybe something to uh, think about as we go to a commercial break is uh, only as parents are the origin of the misdeeds of the children commit. In other words, when people try to blame God for evil, isn't that the equivalent of blaming parents for the wrong deeds of their children? Let's think about it. And we'll be right back. break when people blame uh, God uh, for evil in the world uh, a question is asked isn't that like blaming parents who raise children blaming parents for the sins or the acts of evil of their children um, that seemed to warrant some limited discussion and then we took a break but father uh, Kirst has a, a question about natural evil or evils you were saying Pat well, we were talking about the existence of evil as a consequence of, of bad choices that people make and that we can easily see that applicable in our own personal lives and, and our own personal evil and, and uh, falling into the temptations from the evil one. We can extend that out to structural evils we talk about, which to a large degree have to do with people's bad choices. A lot of the isms that we live with, with ageism, sexism, racism, and so forth, those sorts of evils that are the accumulation of, of many people's bad choices. But we also know about other sufferings that people have in their life that might be defined as evils, natural evils, uh, earthquakes that destroy people's lives. And I is that the, react the result of what God has done? Did God create this world and call it good and said, oh, by the way, we're going to have earthquakes and hurricanes and all of that? And how do we respond to that and, and see God's place within that? And, and related to this, have we met in our parish uh, assignments people who, um, you know, a child, I, I remember the neighbors in the, in the parish growing up when I was a boy, very faithful, faithful people, and uh, their son was killed in an automobile accident, and suddenly God had abandoned them, and they never went to church again. And, I mean, how do we've all dealt with situations. How do we respond? How do people are listening audience when they have relatives, or perhaps even themselves, when they hear stories of this. How do they pastorally, charity, lead people to speak, to appreciate that God is a God of love and, and these harms, these great acts of natural evil or enter into it? How do, how do we address these? Uh, well, I think it's easier to start with the natural or metaphysical evils of earthquakes and um, just things of nature that are not choices made by us, uh, so there's no intent or moral element to it. They're just evil, as we see it, evil things. Um, 
uh, 17th century philosopher Leibniz. He he followed. Igor. He's been discredited. <laughs> Igor. <laughs> uh, he was, I think, his uh, descendants are going to All Saints School, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. But he, he said, well, maybe part of it is that we human beings, we only get a glimpse of something. So if we take something very simple, we'll say, well, play like uh, someone, say, think of a pine needle. Now, of course, we can't think like a pine needle, but for the pine needle sitting there on that tree one day, all things are good, and then all of a sudden it falls onto the ground, and then it's rotting. I mean, that's all horrible for the pine needle. Unfortunately, as far as we know, it doesn't have many thoughts or feelings. But the pine needle has to fall to the ground and rot to provide, you know, an acid for the soil. And, and therefore, Leibniz's point is in the bigger picture that only God can see, there's a good coming out of what appears to us in the moment as evil. That's more difficult for us to uh perhaps reflect upon when all of a sudden it comes into uh, evils that affect or touch our lives. But there has to be that awareness. And part of, does God allow evil in the world? Well, no, he doesn't really allow evil in the world. He permits it, yes. But it's also to show or allows God that he can even bring good out of what we see and what appears as evil. Well, I, <coughs> I've... I've uh, we've all had uh, to have funerals of, of tragedies, suicides, and the death of children, and perhaps even our own families have experienced that. And uh, at those times, uh, I always try to try to answer that question. You know, why did this happen? Um, and quite frankly, I I don't I tr I steer away from why it happened, and I point people to uh, at the cathedral anyway, the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lords, the, the Mother, Mother Church, Church of, of the Diocese. Is it still the Mother Church? It still mm -hmm. is. Oh. Mm -hmm. Got to change that letterhead. We uh, we have uh, a beautiful image of of Calvary uh, in the high altar uh, carved in marble, and uh, I, I I often call uh, that scene to mind. What must have been in Mary's heart as she stood there on Good Friday and watched people uh, humiliate, uh, torture, and murder her only son? Uh, if someone had said to her, "Well, Mary, I know this looks really bad, but in a couple of days it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it." They, she, you know, she could, e could have easily thought, you're crazy. How can you, in fact, she could be insulted by that. How dare you tell me that anything good could come out of this? Mm -hmm. And yet God, in his uh, infinite mercy, compassion, and power, did not let evil and sin have the last word in his life, in his son's life, and he will not have it uh, have the be the last word in, in our own lives either. I uh, think what, what uh, Father Connell brings up is, um, and related to what Father Mies said, that we know something, but we don't know all. And uh, I suppose that the when we are fortunate and blessed uh, to meet God at the judgment, um, but we d what we do know is the greatest evil that ever happened, both spiritually and physically, the greatest sin and suffering was when perfect love, Jesus, was hated and crucified. And that joins whatever suffering we have as, as human beings uh, with God, which I think ultimately is a source of some... Uh, consolation over a period of time that whatever suffering has occurred. I know we're talking about suffering and evil, but Father me, you look agitated. Uh, no, no, I, I'm no, I'm not at all, because I think that whole thing, yes, yeah, the greatest e of greatest suffering, Christ's suffering on the cross, but that his love goes deeper than the greatest suffering or sin or evil mm -hmm. is an important point. And I think the other thing is there is a resurrection, and the fact of you know, that resurrection the love of God, his goodness is infinite, is eternal, while evil 
will ultimately pass away. It is finite. In the Last Supper, when um, Judas leaves, um, and those words of Jesus to him as he he was the vicar for finance, you know, <laughs> he, he, he was, was. He, not he, the village idiot. A great, <laughs> no, he's not the great idiot. resemblance actually. Uh, but uh, how I how do you um, besides the fact that you once said uh, Pat that Judas was the first one to leave mass early, um, wow. but uh, no seriously with with the um, you know the Judas had free choice and someone that you know why did Jesus choose Judas to be in that twelve knowing that he would uh, betray him. How is that, do the precocious kids at uh, uh, any of your parishes ever ask that question, or is that just asked at the priests' gatherings? My kids give the answer. Do they? To that, yes, yeah. And it's it, it's kindergarten it's kids, right? Well, preschool, actually. <laughs> my, <laughs> my sister teaches in the preschool. Mm -hmm. Oh, nepotism. No. Uh, go on, please. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> How do you answer the fact that, you know, with, with you know, Judas, the, uh, in fact, someone just was speaking to me yesterday about the role that Judas played. Uh, I mean, he had free will. I mean, when he betrays Jesus, he, and then afterwards he does it, he throws, and what is Jesus, what is the word of the words Jesus said? Better he had never to be born. Mm -hmm. Better for him, but I think it goes back to that point of the tree in the garden mm -hmm. or uh, God allowing evil is let this person play his role, but... Uh, God is not subject, Jesus is not subject to the whims or uh, the behavior of Judas. He is above that. So God's plan is carried out while all these evils somehow are subjugated to, to his, what's going on above them. And, and God's I think good. <coughs> related to, to that and, and, and um, Judas's act of betrayal and, and ultimate suicide, the it's very interesting to note that the church has never said has never declared that Judas is in hell, uh, that he's burning forever in hell, which is kind of a, at least for me, a bit of a consolation that um, y you can do something as bad as Judas did and still, uh, by the judgment of man, y you, can't, you can't condemn that, that person. We, we entrust the person to God's judgment uh, and uh, to his mercy. And for me, anyway, that's a, a, bit, yeah. of a, a bit of hope. Absolutely. What about the... Um, there are those, I remember when I was teaching, and um, I remember um, someone not in the religion department, uh, but an uh, uh, employee it once made that uh, didn't believe in hell and thought that hell was this world. I thought that that individual lived a rather comfortable life. Um, and uh, do people um, ask the question frequently, or has it been asked of us, does hell contradict a loving God? Before well, we, we might... Go to a How much time now. do we have? Oh my! Well, all right. Let's. We're going to take a break. <laughs> you better take a break. That's yeah. a big question. Welcome back. We uh, last talked, and we were discussing the issue of evil, and then about hell. Um, I mentioned. Uh, Someone I had listened to at a conference talking about that this person did not believe in hell at all because she thought that this world in its pain and suffering was hell enough. Um, and a related question that I asked is, does hell contradict a loving God? How would you... What would... Was it C.S. Lewis again to refer back to the mm -hmm. master that... Uh, 
was it in the screw tape letters that uh, that's exactly what Satan wants is that we don't believe in him, we don't believe in hell. Uh, or that there's always time for conversion. Tomorrow, manana. Yeah, there's a, a line, you know, before we sin, the devil makes us believe whatever the sin is, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, we'll love it, it's great. And then no sooner do we sin, the, the devil attempts to convince us that there's absolutely no forgiveness. How could we ever be forgiven mm. for such a thing? Mm. But could I tell a story? Sure. It's short. It's short. All right. I'm, cr- I'm going to try seconds. to make it. All right. 30 seconds. And all it, right. can't, it can't be true. <laughs> well, it is true because it comes from Athanasius. Oh. Uh, he would never his lie. His biography on the life of St. Anthony. Now, mm. St. Anthony, to make it quick, went out to the desert. He was going to, and these monks, the hermits, went out to the desert, not to escape evil, but to do battle with the demons. And so St. Anthony, Anthony goes out to the desert, he does battle with the demons, but they just beat him to a pulp. I mean, he's about ready to die. He's completely, you know, bleeding, broken nose, you know, broken foot, whatever else. His friends come out, they take him back to the city, they nurse him back to health, and then he's convinced he's going to go out and continue the battle against the demons. And uh, they try to convince him, no, stay here, there's good wine, there's good food. But no, he goes back out. And this time when he faces the demons, what he does is he laughs at them when they tempt him. He says, ha ha, no matter what you do to me, you crazy demons, there's nothing you can do because Christ is victorious. And uh, laughing at the demons, of course, pride is their biggest sin. Mm. uh, It ran them off. So I think sometimes we have to be um, joyful warriors we have to be even jolly warriors against the evil we see in the world and recognizing that uh, the armor we have on us is christ and christ is victorious and that's uh, so we enter into a joyful battle against those demons i think that's an excellent point father me because in the um you know sometimes when you're meeting with people and um it it reminds me of that line in the um the exorcist when the younger priest, Father Mar- uh, Marin, um, is asked. Father Karras asks Father Marin, "Why? Why this dramatic expression of evil?" And his response is, um, "The devil wants to convince us that we're unlovable, and if we, you know, we have people perhaps who are in a pattern of sin, and in their feeling of unworthiness, they don't think that God, in His love," can't forgive them, and consequently it is a burden for them. Their life uh, is more of a struggle, and uh, that is very much an aspect of evil, the loss of joy and hope uh, that comes from, from uh, Christ. I know that in some of the statues in our churches and the great statue of Our Lady of Grace where Mary uh, is uh, crushing the head of Satan uh, as seen as a serpent, Father Connell, any yeah, uh, thoughts I on that? Well, I... I I grew up at St. Anthony's uh, Church, and uh, there's a statue of, of Our Lady of Grace there uh, in the sanctuary to this day, and she's standing on a, a, a snake, a serpent. As a kid, I had no idea uh, what that meant, uh, but it looked kind of interesting and cool. Um, now, of course, uh, we know that uh, uh, Mary's crushing uh, the serpent is symbolic of her fidelity to God in opposition to Eve, where Eve was uh, gave in to temptation, and disobeyed God, Mary repaired that uh, original disobedience by her fiat, by her saying yes to the Lord at the Annunciation, uh, be it done to me according to your word. I don't understand this, um, 
but uh, I, 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 I'm going to go along with you, you Lord, and, and uh, do what you ask of me. And by that act of obedience, she crushes the disobedience of Satan and Eve. And so it has an important part in terms of our own piety and our own um, our liturgical life, uh, th that particular image uh, of Mary. I, I think also, too, uh, when you mentioned, Bishop, about people who don't believe in hell and don't believe in, in um, uh, demons or whatever, um, it reminds me of, of a prayer that uh, has been said at the cathedral for many, many years, just as part of the, the devotion of the people, um, it's called the the uh, prayer of Saint Michael. I know we're going to a break here, but uh, maybe I could end. Uh, sure. Go to the break with this. It was uh, added to the uh, the mass, the, the prayers of the mass officially by Pope Leo the Thirteenth in 1886, and was prayed as part of the low mass at the end of the low mass uh, every day every at every mass until 1964, uh, and then I think it just continued on as a tradition at the cathedral. And uh, this is the prayer that that our people pray at after both the 6:30 and the noon mass. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl through the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Mm. We're good. We, um, in our parishes, in our schools, and in our religious education programs, we all meet with families who have experienced in some way suffering. And um, as, as a church and uh, messengers of the uh, risen Christ, um, we are given this unique vocation to speak to the people of God's love and mercy. And uh, at times, you know, just as we will have those who don't believe in hell or evil. I'm, I'm reminded of a, um, there's an Irish Vincentian named Pat Collins who wrote a series of books on prayer. And he spoke himself as a priest ordained in the 70s that he did not think evil existed, that evil was just basically people who had uh, Ill illnesses, emotional illnesses, until he went to Dachau. And he said there he felt the existence of evil. And so it is a reality in our world, and um, yet as a church, uh, as saved by Jesus Christ, who has given us uh, himself in word and sacrament, we are called to, um, to lead people to come to God's love and mercy and to deal with the reality uh, of choice, free choice. We know that those are the decisions that do get people into to difficulties. And um, we maybe might want to conclude with um, part of the Eucharistic prayer, which I think it would be an opportunity for our faithful to reflect when they hear this in the, uh, the canon. Father, accept this offering from your whole family. Grant us your peace in this life. Save us from final damnation and count us among those you have chosen. Mm -hmm. 